Remain standing, if you will, uh, for the reading of God's word from Acts chapter 2. Pastor Moody is going to be preaching from verses 42 to 47, but we're going to be reading this morning from Acts 2, 37 to verse 10 of chapter 3. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day... Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning. We're looking this morning at uh, the book of Acts, continuing our series. Uh, We've called it How Acts, How Jesus Acts Through Us Today. How Jesus Acts uh, Through Us Today. So you want to go ahead and keep your Bibles open, or if you have it on a phone, you can look at it on a phone. As long as you're not also playing Angry Birds, I'm fine. So... And uh, this passage we read out in context because it's very important we see it in its context and see what is happening there throughout the the larger stream of the narrative of this book of Acts, which we've called as we study how Jesus acts through us today. The reason why we've called it that is because the book of Acts is not merely a historical account of uh, what the apostles did long ago. It's not merely a chance to get out your maps and look at what the apostles did and say, oh yeah, that's interesting. I'm you know, glad to know that those are the missionary journeys and that sort of thing. It's, it's much more 
than that. And uh, Luke uh, structures his book to tell us a story, a story which he wants us, you, all of us to be involved with. He begins with Jesus' teaching about the kingdom of God and uh, how Jesus describes how his disciples are going to be his witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And he ends his story on a cliffhanger. He ends his story with Paul in Rome, in the center of the Roman Empire, symbolically at the end of the earth, Boldly, he says, Paul was preaching the gospel of the kingdom, the rule of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom uh, to all who came to him boldly and without hindrance. And he just finishes there. And the reason why he ends there is because he's saying, over to you. Now it's your turn. Now it's up to us. We've got to take the gospel from our Jerusalem to our Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And so that's why we're looking at the book of Acts, not simply, oh, that's of historical interest. No, it's to see how Jesus acts through us today, how we can take the gospel of the kingdom of God from Jerusalem, from our Wheaton, to Judea and Samaria, to DuPage County, Chicagoland, to the end of the earth for our missionary work. How can we do that? What can we learn from Luke's story as he tells us how Jesus acts through us today. And our first study, a couple of weeks or so ago, we looked at the continuing work of Jesus when he says that he's going to give us power so that we might be his witnesses uh, from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the end of the earth. And then last week, we looked at the coming of this power, Pentecost. How the day of Pentecost opens a door into the new age of the Spirit, which is the description that the 17th century Puritan John Owen used. We're now in this new age of the Spirit, whereby we may receive times of refreshing from the Lord. We may be filled again with the Spirit of Christ. So that power that Jesus promised is now available to us this morning, that we may be filled with the Spirit of, of Christ. And we looked at that last week, that we need to come with expectation that God is going to do something amazing in your life. That, that you're not just going through the motions. And yeah, I'm a Christian because I'm not a Muslim or not a Buddhist or I grew up as a Christian. No, you have the power of the Spirit of Christ at work in you this morning. You may be filled again with the Spirit of Christ. You come with expectation as we gather and we receive from him so that we can go out and be witnesses to our children, to our work uh, colleagues in, in, in the bank, in the, in, in the grocery store, in, 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 in the football stadium in the soccer uh, Saturday morning um, soccer league that you, you now you're living for Jesus with the power of Jesus at work in you his spiritual power that is part of the promise of this age of the spirit in which we all live we looked at that last week but now we come now we come I said last week that in some ways that sermon I preached last week was the most important one I'm going to preach all year and typically as as preachers go, now I think this sermon is going to be the most important one I'm going to preach all year. So. And I get enthusiastic about the Bible when I read it. And every time you look at it, you think, wow, this is so amazing. What's happening here? The, the title I've given for this sermon is The Community of Jesus. What's happening here is the Spirit of God comes. And Peter preaches this amazing sermon. Now with boldness and without hindrance, he preaches. And what does God do? 3,000 people are converted and they gather together and more and more added to their number. The Spirit of God comes and he creates a mega church in Jerusalem. <laughs> 3,000 people. And it's the community of Jesus. It's not, it's not just a little holy huddle. It's a massive group of people who are now on mission for Jesus. That's what God does 
when he comes in power at Pentecost. He's at work in supernatural power for transform individual lives, this community of Jesus. Now, I've looked at this passage many times over the years, and I think in some ways, you know, I'm a slow learner. I think in some ways this week I finally understand it. I think I finally get it. See, what Luke is doing here is he's describing the community of Jesus and there are three little vignettes he has in this, these early chapters. The one we're looking at this morning, chapter 2. Then again, he does it in chapter 4. A few verses, a little description of the community of Jesus. Similar with some differences, as we'll see when we get to that in our series in Acts. And then again in Acts chapter 5, he has another description of the community of Jesus. And each time, each time he describes it, he's describing it in contrast, in comparison to something else. And what he's saying is, this community of Jesus, it's like this, but it's not like that. It's not like that. It's like this. It's not like that. It's like this. And what, what is it not like? Well, it's not like the temple. The community of Jesus, you see, what, what's surprising about these, these stories of the community of Jesus really is where they're meeting. And where they're meeting is in the temple. And this temple, the Herod's temple, God had designed the temple to be this great place of meeting and encounter with God, but now Herod's temple had been compromised, it had become corrupt, and he's saying, it's not like that. It's like this. And they're meeting in the temple. We actually know from Acts chapter 5 where in the temple they're meeting. So they're meeting in what's called Solomon's Colonnade or Solomon's Portico. It's, the, the word just means a big porch. and It had pillars and then it looked out over the valley. And it's actually a huge area. It was outside what's known as the Gentile courts. So anyone could get into this Solomon's Portico. It was on the east side of the Temple Mount. Huge area, Solomon's Colonnade. And I, 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 I did some um, uh, research this week on it, trying to figure out exactly how large it was. And when you do, we know about it because Josephus, ancient Jewish historian, describes it. When you actually do how large it was, it was about 60,000 square feet. Now, to give you a sense of what that means is, this building here, just this sanctuary, is a little under 10,000 square feet, 9,000 plus, or something like that. They were meeting in a building that was about six times the size of this building. There were 3,000 people there all together. And every day, 3,000 plus the 120 who were there before, the new 3,000 got converted on the day of Pentecost. So 3,120, I guess. And then every day, more people come to faith in this huge area. On the eastern side of the Temple Mount, looking out over the valley, while all the temple corrupt stuff is going on, there's a new community of Jesus with spiritual power right there. And Luke is saying, look at the difference. Look at the difference. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to describe the temple of man and then the community of Jesus. That's going to be the structure of the sermon. You're taking notes. The temple of man. We'll look at that, what that was like. And then the community of Jesus. So first of all, the temple 
the temple of man. What was it like? Well, to begin with, as the story goes, unfolds, it's not happening right in this passage, but pretty soon as we read in chapter three, they, they, uh, the, the, when Peter and John heal this, uh, this beggar and the, and, the, and the temple stands against the healing and then urges them not to preach anymore. And then by chapter six, they're actually persecuting, indeed killing the first Christian martyr, Stephen. The temple of man is increasingly and then aggressively and then legally and then violently opposed to what God is doing. See, this is why this is so important. I said I think in some ways this is the most important message I'm going to preach all year. This is why this is so important. Isn't it true that today there are hundreds, nay, thousands, nay, maybe millions of people in the West who desire a spiritual experience of God but don't want to have anything to do with the temple of man. They're spiritual but not, they're not religious. And what Luke is saying is, I don't blame you. I don't want to have anything to do with the temple of man either. It's not that. It's not that. It's not that. It's something else. It's not that. It's something else. It's not about judgmentalism and aggression and being against things and being anti this and anti that and fighting in this kind of way and legal, legal maneuvers to get what you want. It's not that. It's something else. The temple of man persecuting legally, aggressively, finally violently what God is doing. It's not that. What else is the temple of man like? Well, amazingly, the temple of man didn't. <laughs> it's astonishing when you think about it. Given what the temple was meant to be. But astonishingly, amazingly, the temple of man wasn't taking care of the poor. There's a, there's a beggar right there. He's saying, you know, oh, please give me some money, you know, arms. That is, please, hey, I, I, I'm poor, I'm needy, please help me, please help me. They're walking on by. Who stops? Peter and John. The community of Jesus stops. The temple of man doesn't stop. They just walk on by. They're not taking care of the poor. It's a classic pattern, the temple of man. Just concern for ourselves, concern for our wonderful architecture, our beautiful gold and silver and there's, there's massive amounts of religion that's like that it's all about money it's all about power it's all about prestige you know who gets to sit on the platform who who gets to wear the fancy clothes you know money and power and prestige and Luke's saying it's not that it's not that it's not that it's something else Something entirely different. Can you see the contrast? It's not that. They didn't take care of the poor. They persecuted what God was doing. And there's no spiritual power. There's no spiritual power. You contrast that what the community of Jesus with signs and wonders and people getting healed and thousands of people getting converted and all this spiritual vitality and power and sort of growth and, and encounter. And then there's the temple of man with all oh, its sort of fancy prestige. But there's no spiritual power. God is absent. He's not a work there. 
And again, a lot of people are like, I, I don't want anything, I want to meet God, but I don't want to have to go through a religious kind of bunch of ceremonies that seem like they're just human stuff that humans invented. And Luke's saying, it's not that. It's not that. It's not that. It's something else. Something entirely different. It's not that. The temple of man. It's not that. When you meet Jesus in the name of Jesus, that is the reality and power of the person of Jesus, who Jesus is, not just literally the the letters of the name Jesus, but the person and power of who Jesus is and his birth and life and death and resurrection and his life today through the power of the Spirit present with us now. When When you encounter Jesus, the name of Jesus, when you meet him, there's a community of Jesus that is born. I'm going to describe that community to you now. And what I want you to do as I describe it is to think what it reminds you of. What's the community of Jesus like? Well, to begin with, they've got good news. See, it says at the start of this passage, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Of course, a lot of people, as they studied it, have thought, well, what does it mean by the apostles' teaching? How do we define what the apostles' teaching is? Well, read the few verses beforehand. What does it mean? Well, verse 37, brothers, what shall we do? They asked Peter. He says, repent and be baptized, everyone in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's preached this sermon about the fulfillment of the Old Testament in Christ and his resurrection, and therefore our need to repent and believe so that we will receive the Holy Spirit. That is, that's the apostle's message, the good news, the gospel. They're centered on the gospel. They've got good news. They're not legalistic and judgmental and persecuting and violently opposed to the work of God. That's, that's the temple of man. No, this is something else, something else. They've got good news. Have we got good news for you? Whatever you've done, whatever you've been up to this week, wherever you've been, there's good news. You just need to repent. And believe, and yeah, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit and there'll be new life. It's good news. You can start again this morning. You can start all over again today. Have we got good news for you? The community of Jesus has good news. And then the community of Jesus does take care of the poor. It's emphasized over and over again in each of these three little vignettes that Luke has that the community of Jesus takes care of each other, takes care of the poor. They reach out to the, to the beggar. They, uh, verse, uh, verse 45, they're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They're taking care of the poor. And the reason why Luke emphasizes this over and over again in each of his three descriptions of the early church, this community of Jesus, because this is a direct fulfillment of what God had promised his people would be like. Deuteronomy 15 verse 4, Deuteronomy 15 verse 4, God had said to Moses, there shall be no poor among you. 
And there's the temple of man and there are beggars everywhere and there's lots of poverty and those are in power doing fine but everyone else is impoverished. And now here comes the community of Jesus and anyone who has need, they're taking care of. They take care of the poor. And it's in direct fulfillment of what God has said his people will be like. There shall be no poor among you. Now you say, what does that actually mean? Is that communism? Pastor Moody, are you Bernie Sanders or something like that? What does that mean? And if you're not, maybe you should be. What does that mean? It's not communism. In other words, it's not saying there is no private property. We know that from the passage here. So uh, verse, uh, 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 verse 46, right after the verse I just read, it says day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So they had homes. They had a house that they could call their own, their, their own homes. So it's not communism. And what is more, when um, Ananias and Sapphira later in chapter 5 abuse this generosity that marked the church of God to try and pretend that they've been generous when really they're not, Peter, when he rebukes them, he says to them, were not the houses that you had your own before you sold them? They were their houses. And after you sold them, didn't you have the right to do whatever you wanted with the money? It was their money. So they had homes, they had money. It's not communism. But by the same token, we mustn't so resist the astonishing nature of this community of Jesus that when we say what it is not, we don't say what it is. And what it is is radical generosity. Radical generosity. That's a hallmark of the spirit of Christ at work in God's people. Radical generosity. There are no poor among them. John Chrysostom, uh, the great early church preacher called Chrysostom, it's a nickname of his, it, it was, means golden-mouthed. He was an extraordinary orator. The golden-mouthed, what a name to be given as a preacher. <laughs> John Chrysostom. John Chrysostom says about this, he says that this was, he calls it, an angelic, angel-like, an angelic commonwealth. It's like they were angels together, the way they shared their wealth, an angelic commonwealth. And then he says, the root of all evil have been dug out. The root of all evil, of course, is the love of money. Not money itself, but the love of money. He says, the root of all evil have been dug out. And then he says, the poor felt no shame and the rich no haughtiness. I'm great because I'm wealthy. Look at the size of the car I have. We don't say it, but we feel it. Not there. Not then. I'm so poor, I don't have enough money. I mean, I I, I drive to church in my car, and I'm glad it got there. I thought it was going to break down the way, but I made it, and I'm going to park right over in Billy Graham Center so no one sees the car I drove. The poor felt no shame. And the rich, no haughtiness. 
That's a radical generosity. And look, you know, we, as God's people here, I think we are generous. But we need to move in that direction. And press into that. A radical, radical generosity. Can't believe that guy. He just sold his house to push forward the gospel. Like, is that amazing? Can't believe that guy who could drive around in a Rolls Royce is driving around in a, I don't know what is a bad car these days, I forget. But, you know, I'm going to mention a bad car and you can say, hey, pastor, I drive that. I think it's a great car. But, you know, whatever the opposite of a Rolls Royce is, you know. That's what he's driving. He could be driving a, a, a roller, a Rolls Maybe you don't like Rolls Royces. Enter Maserati or whatever, whatever car you, whatever car you wish you could have. And we get messages all the time about that. If you work hard, then you can be massively wealthy. It's a land of opportunity, a land of freedom, a land of wealth. And here's the community of Jesus. And it says, yeah, there is wealth. There is money. And you know what? We're going to be radically generous with what God's given us. That's what the community of Jesus is like. That's good news. Good news for you. If you repent and believe, there's good news for you. Whatever you've done, wherever you've been, and there's radical generosity. We're not bound by the chains of wealth. What comes in goes out. Comes from God anyway. Filled with joy, we've been released from the trap of materialism. And then this community of Jesus is filled with spiritual power. Now, a lot of times preachers don't mention this very much because they're not quite sure how to describe it. The spiritual power that is here at work. How do you, how do you, what part of this do you say is merely a description something you describe and what part of this is something that is prescriptive something you should do but clearly there is spiritual power at work there are signs and wonders being done many wonders and signs have been done through the apostles and this this beggar he can he couldn't walk and now in the name of Jesus Christ he's commanded to rise up and walk and he and he, he you know, goes out leaping and jumping and praising God. You know the little children's song, perhaps you leaping and jumping and praising God. That's, that's great spiritual power. And, and the, the greatest spiritual power here is the 3,000 people who are brought from darkness into light, brought from death to life, brought from hell to heaven, brought from unregenerate to regenerate. The new creation, not just a new pair of legs, a whole new creation when someone becomes a Christian. That's the, that's the greatest miracle that's taking place here. A spiritual power. You know, uh, people get nervous about miracles because there are so many charlatans out there, fake purveyors of m- manipulation. There's so many guilt trips that are preached. You know, the reason why you're not healed is because you don't have enough faith. Look, the truth is, not everyone is going to be healed. Unless, until Jesus returns, until we're in heaven, not everyone is going to be healed because we're all going to die at some point. 
we live in a fallen world. Not everyone is healed. And we must not rob godly men and women, children, of a spiritually fruitful death. That's an amazing witness that takes place when a Christian dies well. Not everyone is healed, but some are. Of course, in glory, everyone is, but some are in this world. I've, it's, not, it's not all the time, but I, I remember one woman we prayed for who was healed. I, I went to university with, a, with, a, with a, a, fr- a friend of mine there who, when he was a, a young teenager, had a tumor, and a missionary came to stay at their house and pray for him. The tumor went away, and ten, ten years later, there he was with me at college. And as far as I you know, he's off doing fine in his career as a, as a doctor. And there, this, this happens. And elders, we, we elders, we pray for people to be healed. And God sometimes does, and he sometimes does not. But there is spiritual power, and greatest of all, there is spiritual power that causes the movement from death to life. Jackie Pullinger, who's one of the uh, missionary in Hong Kong, was sent there by God and describes in her book, Chasing the Dragon, back in, I think, in the 1990s or late 1980s, how when she went there, she went to the poorest region of that city at the time and just prayed for drug addicts. And through prayer alone, they were released from their drug addiction. Like, there is, there is spiritual release. The, the, the ministry of a biblical church is not simply, now I understand the book of Acts really well. The ministry of a biblical church is, now I understand what God is saying to me through the book of Acts, and there is spiritual power, so now Jesus is acting through me today. It's the sword of the Spirit that's the Word of God. If you want an encounter with God, if you want fresh spiritual power, you do it through the Word of God. But it's not merely like, oh, now I understand the book of Acts. It's like now there's spiritual power, which is why the ministry of the church is the word and prayer. So I'd love to pray with you afterwards that God would anoint you, fill you, use you, save you. And we're praying that God would do something uh, amazing in your life this morning. We're all the pastors gathered early this morning. There'd be other people praying today that God would be spiritually powerfully at work uh, this morning. So the spiritual power, there's radical generosity, there's a message of good news. And the final thing that marks out this community of Jesus is that it is every, it's every day, day by day, Luke emphasizes, day by day, every single day. This is not just, this is not just Sunday, This is not just once or twice a month. This is a new life for work, for home. Now, I asked you when I was going to describe the community of Jesus to think as I described who 
or what it reminds you of. Who does it remind you of? Good news. Taking care of the poor. Spiritual power. New life every day. Not, not just a religious gathering, but every day around meals and walking together. And what, who, do, who, who or what does that remind you of? You know the answer? Jesus. the community of Jesus and church when it's really healthy it's like this is like being with Jesus this is what Jesus is like and in the name of Jesus we can be more and more like him our Lord God we do pray that be true for us we We gather now and pray for the power of your spirit, Jesus, to make us more and more like the community of Jesus, not like the temple of man. We pray uh, for us that you would revive us and restore us and renew us. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to take care of the poor. We pray, Lord, that you would give us great spiritual power this morning. We pray, Lord, that the good news will be clear and you would bring people from death to life today. We pray, Lord, that we would have spiritual power for living for you every day, not just today, but not just in church, but every day. We pray, Lord, most of all that we will be more and more like you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, for those who don't yet know you, that they will receive your good news, they repent and believe and come up and say, yeah, I want to be baptized. We pray, Lord, that you would, for all of us, give us fresh spiritual power so that we, as individuals and as a church, as a community, can more and more Be the kind of people that when others meet us, they say, you know, that person reminds me of someone. You know, that that church reminds me of someone. And Lord Jesus, we ask then that uh, we would reflect you, represent you as your body more and more. And we pray this In the name of Jesus, amen.